The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. As we constantly move forward, there is a continuing and urgent need for higher education. It's necessary for tomorrow's future and for a dynamically changing workforce. As the need for education is changing, so is education itself. Welcome to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education with your host, Dave Goldberg. In this program, we'll discuss the complex changes that are being made to higher education today, and we'll help you stay ahead of tomorrow if you're a student, educator, or in the workforce. Now, here's Dave Goldberg. Good day and welcome to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. I'm Dave Goldberg. I'm your show host and Big Beacon is a movement to transform higher education at bigbeacon.org. The web, if you haven't been by in a while, the web website has changed and uh, there's lots of new content. So in every episode, we explore some of the innovators and innovations that are changing the world of higher education all around us. And you can follow live tweeting of uh, the show at hashtag Big Beacon Radio. And today, uh, it's a special pleasure to uh, introduce uh, one of my heroes of entrepreneurship and, and uh, thinking about entrepreneurship, uh, Sarah Sarasvati at the Darden Business School at the University of Virginia. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thank you, Dave. What a wonderful, warm welcome. I hope I live up to it. Well, I'm, I'm kind of betting that, that I'm kind of betting that you will. And We'll talk uh, for a moment in, about your really important work and in, in thinking about entrepreneurship. But we, on this show, we like to get to know our guests a little bit better. And so, um, as I I read over things about your career, you've been a writer, a professor, a scholar, a thought leader of entrepreneurial thought and action since your um, at least going back to your seminal PhD work at Carnegie Mellon with uh, Herb Simon, and and you've, you're author of the important book, Effectuation: Elements of Entrepreneurial Expertise. Well, let's uh, go back in the time machine a bit. Uh, people have lots of influences on their life lives, and um, you know what were what were some of the the early influences that you put put you on your current life's path? How far do you ba- uh, do you you know want to go back to like two hundred years? Because that's how old I am. <laughs> well, sometimes I ask the question. Uh, I ask uh, we go back to the log cabin. So it, it's up to you. Uh, how far back do you want to go? Um. Actually, my first encounter with entrepreneurship um, is a pretty powerful one for the simple reason that if it hadn't been for the scholarship offered by the Tata Foundation in India, um, I couldn't have gone to college. So I am the third daughter in a family of three daughters and a son and grew up uh, lower middle class in India. And I, there's a big age gap between my sisters and me. And uh, uh, my parents, they are absolutely wonderful, loving people, but they made it very clear they could not afford to send us to college. Nobody in my family had been to college. 
And uh, so I saw my sisters finish their high school and get married. Um, and uh, because there was a little bit of an age gap, I got a little bit of time to think about it. And I was absolutely determined that I'm going to college. But uh, because my parents couldn't afford to send me, I had to uh, figure out a way to get a scholarship. And so, you know, uh, so that was kind of an obsession <laughs> when I was in high school that I had to get a scholarship sure. to go to college. And uh, one of the best scholarships out there uh, was and even is is a full tuition scholarship from the Tata Foundation. But because uh, it is such a you know um, precious scholarship, uh, literally thousands of students try to get it, and they have rounds and rounds of different kinds of thing competitions that you have to go through besides. Uh, having a high GPA, and as part as part of the that series of competitions, one of the things they asked us to do was to read the biography of the founder of the Tata companies, uh, Jamsheji Tata, and reading that book, and and they also asked us to write an essay based on that book, and that just was a conversion experience for me. Um, and the fact that I was very lucky and got the scholarship and went to college just, you know, reinforced uh, the feeling that entrepreneurship can actually make a difference. And that feeling is still with me. So that was my exposure to entrepreneurship, that the idea that you don't uh, go to college and study and just look for a job, that you can actually build something from scratch that would uh, make a difference in people's lives, whether in terms of products and services or in the communities that you build around it, because the Tatas were also very good uh, at building and entire cities around the initial businesses that they started. And Jamshedji started, uh, Tata started a lot of different businesses in completely different industries. Yes. And it's just a fascinating life story that uh, influenced me a lot. Um, beautiful. Oh, and thanks. And what a beautiful story. And, and uh, what, a, what a fitting setting for the, some of the things that, that, uh, that came later uh, for you. And and uh, on this show, we're very interested also, and, and to a certain extent, I think we just heard an unleashing experience of sorts. But in the book, A Whole New Engineer, we talk about unleashing experiences for students today yeah. of, of how, how can, when, when a students are trusted, that they gain the courage to take initiative and do something that they might not have done. And so we're kind of curious about your unleashing experience, either who or what in your life allowed you to go on the unbeaten paths that you've that you followed what what gave you the courage to uh, dare to do the things that you've dared um, I, I I have been extraordinarily fortunate in having a number of uh, uh, very uh, interesting influences uh, in my life my parents my mom is absolutely my uh, hero uh, even today um, uh, I sometimes, uh, you know, she lives with me, so I'm very fortunate in that sense too. So I wake up in the morning and I look at her and I think about how, what a difference uh, education has made in our lives. Uh, if she had had half the opportunities that I have had in my life, I mean, she would be like Secretary of State or something. Uh, but because uh, of her family situation, uh, they stopped her education early because she had to uh, take care of her siblings. Her mom passed away from tuberculosis. So she was it, basically. And 
all her life she has taken care of and raised other people but she has this passion for education i mean passion is too mild a word <laughs> and she passed that on to me so she was my first and abiding influence in my life yes. um and uh, she had all these uh, interesting things sometimes she forgets it now uh, but whenever anything good happened in life she would always tell me uh, okay you know something good has happened in your life now what are you going to do to earn it you know and uh, it is a very different way you see good things that happen in life are never like a reward for something you did in the past uh it's always something that you have to earn uh and uh, so a lot of little things little twists on uh you know talking about unleashing experience making experiences mean something different um mm. she has been wonderful and um as part of my uh, education um my mom also had me go out and participate in many different kinds of things like teaching um um uh, my you know uh, kids around the block they were just one grade mm-hmm. below me she felt uh, that uh, things came too easy to me uh, kind of the intellectual genetic lottery if you will and she felt the way to earn it is to try to teach someone else so she would say you have never really mastered anything until you have actually tried to teach it to someone else and nice. she was trying to make me see that just because something came easy to me is no reason for me to take credit for it uh and to see that other people struggle and the ability to actually bring other people along uh was an important aspect of learning and again i you know she might not have articulated it that way but that's how i experience it now as a teacher and that's one of the reasons i enjoy teaching so much uh and so when she sent me out to all of these other kinds of experiences music um and also had me take up religious studies where i learned uh uh sanskrit for 7 years the teacher who taught me sanskrit was also a very unusual person and uh, he uh, actually created a lot of the kinds of experiences the unleashing experiences that mm. you talk about in the book for example he would always uh, tell us be careful what you learn because unlearning is so much more difficult uh, than learning and so he would always make you question you know this idea that you have actually learned something right or that just because you have mastered something you know because you can repeat it or because you can maybe even explain it to someone doesn't mean uh, anything until you make it count for something that you do something with it um so i had lots of uh, interesting influences like that and uh, an uncle of mine uh, also who had a very strange uh, you know educational experience but went on uh to uh do a lot of things in the public sphere uh uh was also an influence so i've been very very fortunate Sounds and like then the whole tata scholarship blessed, experience yeah. was also fantastic outstanding and and so and so maybe if we turn now to um some of your your writing and thinking around effectuation and so and so as i read um read your book and read some of your papers that sounds like well actually I'm sort of curious how how did how did this in, you know in in your advisors argue you know one of the um heroes of early artificial intelligence and early management uh, management uh, thinking uh, herb simon how did how did the the study the empirical study and and thinking about 
how entrepreneurs think and act. Uh, how did that work come about? Um, basically, I was at Carnegie Mellon actually in the MBA program because I did not get into the PhD program. I got. I think I've been rejected three times in a row by the best universities in our country. <laughs> but as far as the PhD program uh, was concerned, because at that time there wasn't really a PhD program in entrepreneurship. Um, sure. So I was in the MBA program at Carnegie Mellon University, and uh, I had come to the conclusion that maybe I would not actually be able to get in the PhD program at all. Um, so I started thinking about, I, I tried to define goal, uh, my goals in life in terms of yep. verbs, not in uh, terms of nouns. Yep. So uh, I started thinking, maybe what, what do you do when you say, I want a PhD, uh, you know, I want to have a PhD and I want to become a professor. Instead of that, I actually started thinking, you know, I want to write, I want to read, I want to think, I want to talk, I want to teach. Uh, mm. And I said I was at one of the best research universities under the sun, so why wouldn't I just learn to do that? You know, it doesn't matter if it is not part of a PhD program. So I started taking courses uh, in the schools outside the business school. And, of course, Herb Simon's course on cognitive processes was, yep. like, the most sought-after course. And I just walked into his uh, course. Uh, there were, like, a hundred, over 100 students in that class, I think. And as part of the course, uh, you know, he asked us to do an assignment. And that assignment became an experiment where uh, I compared entrepreneurs with bankers in the way they think about risk and five different kinds of risks. And so I uh, started working with her. We got very interested in the project. And then we ended up writing, uh, co-authoring a paper together from that study. So that was my first exposure to Herb Simon. And then uh, after I finished that paper, the day I wrote the first draft of that paper, he had read it. And he asked me, why aren't you doing this as part of a PhD program? <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and then, you know, the whole sob story came out and I explained to him that I have applied and applied and gotten rejected. And so he said, would you like me to supervise your thesis? And I knew, you know, <laughs> around Carnegie Mellon, you know, he was like a divine presence. And so if I could, uh, if I could tell people he's interested in supervising my thesis, you know, oh. so I ran back to the dean's office. I mean, to cut a long story short... Yeah. Uh, I had basically already completed a research project with him before I got into the PhD program. Nice. But now I knew enough about research and enough about, uh, you know, working with him that I knew I could go for a really big project. And I told him I wanted to go for the brass ring. I literally wanted to understand what entrepreneurial experience teaches you, right? So not uh, how some people become successful, not just the idea of, you know, what's the difference between an entrepreneur and a non-entrepreneur or a successful entrepreneur and an unsuccessful entrepreneur. I yep. truly wanted to go after the learnings from experience. So yes. irrespective of the kind of person you are and the kind of venture you start, if you've been an entrepreneur for several years and you've been through every possible experience that entrepreneur offer, entrepreneurship offers you, what is it that you have learned? So I wanted to make that my project. And so he started, and his way of interacting with uh, um, uh, young scholars is to ask a lot of questions. And so he started asking all these questions as to what do you mean by experience? What do you mean by entrepreneurial? And, you know, how can we actually capture this? And so the research project that uh, I did for my dissertation came out of those 
uh, out of that series of questions and answers with him. Um, and the method was really easy because at Carnegie Mellon, they had studied expertise for a long time. So uh, through conversations with him, I came to the idea of you know, thinking about expertise and not only experience, right? There are all kinds of experiences, but uh, there are some experiences that the, if you practice over and over again through deliberate practice, you can actually master the lessons of the experience. And so the idea of expertise came about, and then we started thinking about how to define an expert entrepreneur uh, and uh, that's how the project came about. Is this the kind of thing you were looking for, Dave? Yeah, or no, this is beautiful, to... and I, the, well, <laughs> right. uh, just the whole trajectory is 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 is, uh, is amazing and and wonderful. And again, thank you for sharing that. And 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 maybe um, we've got a couple of minutes before our break, so uh, let's um, maybe you know, so you in thinking about um, managers or 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 more strategic leaders of extent businesses and your work. On entrepreneurs, they they tend to think differently, and you you make a distinction between causal thinking and effectual thinking. What's what's all that about? Okay, um, so the um, interesting thing uh, that came out of my uh, dissertation research, yeah. where I went and talked to these expert entrepreneurs, but also I had them go through an experiment, uh, which I will describe later if you would like me to. By putting them through the uh, experiment, the most important uh, insight that came out was this uh, idea that they make decisions about an uncertain future without resorting to predictive information. So the normal way we think about the future is to say, well, you know, the future is unpredictable, but let's predict it to the best we can because then we can gain some control over it. The expert entrepreneurs had learned what I call the inverse lesson, which is that that if you actually work with things within your control all the time, then you do not need to predict the future. You can actually create it. So that was the key insight. And then there was a I had a whole bunch of details of how these expert entrepreneurs did this. And so I had to sit and think, should I give this a name or not? Uh, And uh, after several conversations and thinking it through, I basically decided that I am going to give it a name because it's not just the series of strategies or techniques and things that they did. It is the fact that there was a logic that tied together all of these techniques. And the logic basically said that you don't start with a particular effect you want to create. Instead, you're always working with things within your control. So you see everything that is within your control as an instrument, right? As a cause, as a way for you to create an effect. And there are all kinds of effects that you could create with them. So it's almost like an attitude of abundance in the face of constraints, right? So normally we look around and say, oh, I'm a nobody with nothing. You know, what can I do? Uh, And the expert entrepreneurs would say, well, you are somebody with something. You're not a nobody with nothing. Uh, All of us are, you know, uh, you know, daughters and sons or, you know, neighbors or siblings or we, there, there is, you all have, we can all start with whoever we are and whatever we know and whomever we know. And we immediately start thinking about what kinds of good effects can we create with that. So yeah. this idea that you don't have to start with a specific effect in mind, that you just see everything around you as possibilities 
uh, and the possibility includes the, the possibility to create new effects, including effects you yourself have not imagined. And nice. so this cause and effect thing was, you know, swirling around in my head. Uh, and so I started thinking about uh, causal actions versus effectual actions. And then I started looking up the word effect, uh, effectuation versus causation. Yep. And things kind of clicked in my head. And that's how the idea, the idea is instead of starting with an effect, you literally start with whatever means you have available and think about many, many different possible effects you could create and then uh, especially co-create with other people. Neat. So. Nice. And so and I, w- I think we want to dig into this some more, but let's take a little bit of a break. And and um, this is Big Beacon Radio with our special guest, Sarah Sarasvati, um, talking to us about effectuation and entrepreneurship. And in the next segment, I think we'll We'll dig some more into um, how entrepreneurs do this and, and how they think differently from, from uh, ordinary business leaders. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of 3Joy Associates help. David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645. Contact him at deg at 3joy.com or browse the 3Joy website, www.3joy.com today. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Kless. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call one 866 472 5790. Again, that's 1 866 472 5790. Or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show. And welcome back to Big Beacon Radio. We urge you to get a copy of the book that is Transforming Higher Education, A Whole New Engineer, The Coming Revolution in Engineering Education. It's not just for engineers anymore. WholeNewEngineer.org. And before the break, we were talking to our guest, Sarah Sarasvati from uh, Darden Business School at the University of Virginia about uh, entrepreneurship, entrepreneurial thought and action, and her work on, on uh, effectuation. And, and Sarah, you were, you were talking, talking about uh, this 
this inverse effect. It really is. It is really the opposite that you know business. We we oftentimes use the word planning, and so we plan, and so and what is planning? Planning is this set of predictions that we're making. Sometimes very specific predictions about well, I'll take this step and something will happen, and I'll take that step and something will happen, and I'll and if I take the series of step, this end goal that I want will will occur, and and uh, entrepreneurs do the opposite. They basically they start from stuff that they can do and they do something and. Uh, sometimes the something they do doesn't come out the way they think it is. So it's it's really a pretty different way of, and, and you were getting at that at the end of at, at the end of the last segment that it's a really fairly different way of thinking about the future and and control and 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 what what control is. Can you say more about that? Um, absolutely. Uh, so so I think it, uh, precisely because a lot of entrepreneurs. Uh, do not start with you know large amounts of resources or uh, 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 there is a myth out there that um, successful entrepreneurs are people who start with brilliant ideas and stuff like that uh, in fact if uh, when you go around the world as I get to do um, people raise four uh, reasons why they are not an entrepreneur even if though even though they would actually love to be one so they would say things like i don't have a big i don't have a brilliant idea or i don't have money or other resources they would say i'm afraid to fail uh, and then, of course, there's always a standard, I, I don't really know how to do this. Uh, and uh, it turns out that experienced entrepreneurs have uh, learned ways around all of these, you know, difficulties. Uh, so if you look at the histories of a lot of uh, uh, enduring uh, ventures over time, you find that people don't always start with a brilliant idea. They just start with something they can do. Uh, something they find they want to do or is it uh, that is worth it even if it doesn't work out so uh, so the five principles of uh, effectuation are you start with who you are what you know and whom you know just yep. with your bird in hand yep. uh, and you try to do something that is that you find worth doing even if it doesn't work out so uh, that's the affordable loss principle you kind of say oh i'm going to give it you know, six months of nights and weekends, or uh, I'm going to give it $20,000 from my savings, or whatever it is, something where you're actually saying it is worth doing. So affordable loss does two very interesting things, that it keeps your, uh, you know, the downside much smaller, right? So you don't lose that much. Uh, but more importantly, it forces you to choose projects where uh, even if you do not succeed, right, it is worth doing. So I, I, the inspiring story I think I tell my students here is Susan B. Anthony, right? She never voted in her life but fought for women's rights to, uh, right to vote. So I always tell them, you know, pick a project uh, that you probably will not even achieve in your life, but it's still worth going after in some ways. And then... Um, the way you do it is you don't have to have any fixed goal, right? Because you have this overarching uh, idea of something worth following. And then you, uh, you just focus on what is it that you can do, like today, given all the constraints in your life for affordable loss. And as you start doing it, you start encountering people. You start uh, encountering surprises that happen to you, good and bad. And you start mixing and matching all of those 
things and I call it you put, you know, you stitch together this crazy quilt of partnerships that it is through this process of stitching together the partnerships that all kinds of new goals emerge. And, and each of these goals are already paid for, if you will, because each person is only investing what they can afford to lose and they're all bringing their birds in hand. And slowly the resources increase, but the goals also start developing into something worth achieving. Uh, and so this process describes almost the co-creation of goals and opportunities and vision. So you don't have to start with one. So you don't have to have a brilliant idea. You don't have to have much money. And failure is okay uh, because you can control uh, failure in terms of keeping it small, you know, making sure it happens earlier, and then you don't fail alone. So you have all these partners who come along the way, uh, and you gain strength from each other, and you get very creative uh, as you move forward. And so the lemonade principle that you sure. learn to make a lemon, uh, you know, lemonade from lemons, all of this happens. Yeah, so um, and, yeah and, I, and I, I, I love this stuff. Uh, I love your work. Um, both, I mean, it's rigorous uh, from from the standpoint of the the empirical work that you did. And, but I, I mean, I guess I, I, guess I love is an emotional word. I, I love it emotionally because it is so open. Yeah. You know, we think of businesses as you know. So we see big businesses, and they're so organized, and they know what they're doing. And so there's this sense. You use the word expert. There's a sense of expertise about a business that they know what business they're in, and and it's kind of all figured out. And it's just a matter of refining and doing doing things better, making it run faster and jump higher. And there's something so open and freeing, and uh, and and uh, and. Uh, saying that you, you know, and also refreshing about not knowing that yes. you, that you don't have to know exactly what it is that you're going to do, but it's important to sort of do something and then pay attention, really, really pay attention and be present to what actually came out, both, as you said, the positive stuff and, and both the, uh, the, and the, and the lemons, the things that didn't work out so well. Yeah, uh, the interesting thing is it does, this does not mean that you never plan or it is unsystematic yep. or anything like that because as the, one of the uh, ex-prospectors told me, you know, prediction about the past is great. <laughs> so uh, if you already committed to doing something with a stakeholder yep. and the stakeholder yep. is committed to you, then you have to deliver on that commitment. And for that purpose, planning is great. But in in order to decide what to do, Right, the idea that uh, the entrepreneur, especially the myth is this lone entrepreneur, right, who starts with a very clear vision of here is what I want to accomplish, and then you have to go around getting the resources required and getting all the people to come on board to kind of uh, uh, follow you in your vision and implement your vision. Uh, instead, uh, entrepreneurs learn that all kinds of people have all kinds of ideas about the good life and uh, the things that they value and that they are willing to work for. And so you need a much more interesting process of coming up with goals and visions. And that's what they learn. In, but one once you have that vision or once you've committed to particular projects, then you can do all the things of efficiency and planning and everything, and it's all, all of that is fine. It is just that the idea that you have to have a clear goal and a clear plan all set ahead of time before you act, right? That's what they challenge. That's what entrepreneurial experiences teach you to challenge. They kind of tell you focus on action and execution and the doable, but 
The aim is to evolve better and better purposes, right? Uh, the aim is that through the process of acting, you actually come upon more interesting, more creative things worth achieving than anything that you can imagine ahead of time. And that's where the, the real, you know, the subtlety and the beauty of that switch that you learn in life is. And that is also why um, entrepreneurs live in this flow of change. They're not afraid of change, right? Right? Because they don't have to have you know these milestones all planned ahead of time in order to function. They understand that through the flow you create and you kind of come upon milestones worth achieving as well. And so it allows them to act. Uh, you know, uh, I wrote a column uh, recently where I actually talk about that is this idea of thinking through action, you know. It's yes. not that you have to think first and act later, but there is a kind of a, uh, uh, thinking that happens through action. And that is what the experience of entrepreneurs, uh, entrepreneurship exposes you to. And so you begin to understand uh, this process, and you're very process-minded in some ways. So change yes. is what you live in. Right. It's well, not and, something you're afraid of. Yes, and it's and and you know, so it's a the learning. I mean, so there's learning about things that you don't know that is embedded yes. in this way of thinking. That that uh, in in a strictly causal kind of thinking, you basically you learn. You kind of learn. You go to school. You learn the things you need to know. You query all the people in your existing business about how things are done, and then you. You do your do your best. So the learning is sort of uh, it's stage wise. You learn first, and then you act later. the The learning is fundamentally embedded, and and it requires you to move ahead with that uncertainty. You don't know yep. how certain things are going to happen, and and that can be kind of, that for some. I think that can be pretty scary for some people who are yeah, absolutely, yeah, the, uh, especially the, as you mentioned in your writing. You know, so much of our education is geared to teach yeah. you uh, this way of thinking. So what happens is uh, it gives you a lot of comfort, right? It gives you a lot of comfort to set a goal ahead of time, have a plan in place, and then you go and execute. There's something very comforting about that, and so change or uh, the unknown or the unpredictable becomes very uncomfortable. Uh, and that's one of the things. It's, it's our greatest achievement and the source of a lot of every, all our woes today, right? That we have an education system that gets people capable of execution on given, um, you know, goals. And the goals are somehow something we don't really discuss or we don't really grapple with, you know, what is worth achieving and how do we, we leave it to, you know, I don't know, Sunday school, I don't know what we do. Yeah. Uh, we hardly have any conversations about purpose, but the, the the key things in life are actually about being able to understand what is worth achieving, right? Uh, and so that's one of the paradoxes of our uh, educational system. Uh, so you can get expertise, you know, you can learn to become a great chemist, and but you don't really think about what kind of chemistry is worth, you know, pouring your emotion, your heart out to. Like, what do you get passionate about? We we don't really tackle any of those very well. Uh, growing up, uh, I had a couple of friends, and we used to joke about it all the time, that the most important things in life we never discuss in um, 
school and we went back to like Aristotle's four causes, you know, sure. uh, and we came up with our own ideas of, uh, you know, if you consider life itself as a product and you think about the four causes of a good life, mm. uh, so you get, you know, when I was young, we used to say sex, now I say health, <laughs> which is a material cause, right? Uh, and then you have uh, relationships which are... Um, uh, uh, which are, again, things we don't actually discuss. And then there is this whole idea of resources and money, uh, which also we don't uh, do very well in education. What is the yep. role of money and how do you do personal finance? I mean, we don't discuss. And then some all, kind no. of a connection with the larger aspects of the uni- universe, whether you call it spirituality or something. So these important questions that actually drive life uh, are not as much front and center in education. So we somehow do put Humpty tum, Dumpty back together again. You know, we know chemistry and physics and civics and whatever. So it's just, and, and then we had to put them all together into our life, you know. Um, so entrepreneurship seems to be... A, so this is why I think entrepreneurship yeah. would be great for all our students, irrespective of whether they become entrepreneurs or not. To throw them into it a little bit, you know, even K through 12 might be a good idea because it allows you to uh, think about different people, what they care about, and how do you bring that together into things that are tangible and executable and worth executing on, right? Well, and I think, and I, and I think you've hit a number of things on the head here. That and 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 um, we had uh, uh, Barry Johnson, author of uh, Polarity Management, on the show the other day, and and he was talking about a lot of. You mentioned a lot of things that we don't talk about, and you know, school does what school does, and and many of the things that we don't talk about are opposites to the things that we do. And it doesn't make the things that we do do in school wrong. It just means that we're not talking about these things that are, you know, so we do talk a lot about causation and, and the kind of learning that will lead to our being a, be good planners out in the world. But we don't talk so much about entrepreneurial process and thinking. And so how do, yeah. we, how do we manage or leverage the polarities and, and do and thinking? How do, yes, as you said, we, we're, yes, we're going to plan. We are going to make things come out the way we wish when we can. And there are times that we can't. So how do we, how do, how do, we do that? And, and the other things you were talking about are, are yeah, in Or how do we know goals. even what to wish for? <laughs> right? yeah, exactly. Yeah, nice. Uh, you know, like uh, how, how do we – and we might uh, have seven different things we wish for. Like how do we uh, allocate our energies to the different things that we want and care about? You know, those kinds of stuff. Uh, yeah, uh, entrepreneurship as an activity, I think, uh, is special in making you think about some of those things. For example, you may think, like, you know, you have this, uh, you know, little necklace that you have made or a cookie you have made or whatever that you think is great and you, everybody should buy it or want it. Uh, but now you have to actually present it from the other person's perspective, right? So uh, there's things like that that happen in entrepreneurship very naturally that get you to start thinking about why do you care about something and why should someone else care about it or what can you do to get people to care about it and what are the things they care yeah. about and how can you connect? You know, there are all of these things that come very quickly uh, in an entrepreneurial experience, uh, uh, in, a, in an entrepreneurial activity. Uh, that I think we could actually bring these things into the classroom in, in school. Well, and I think in the next segment, we want to talk about some of the ways this is being done. Our, like our friends at Olin have a required class in, in entrepreneurship where kids have to b- build a business. And so there and uh, things like that exist at Babson and, and 
perhaps at your school. So we maybe we can talk about those in the in the next segment. And and uh, in the next segment, we uh, a listener has written in and has a question for you. So we'll we'll we'll. Oh sure, great! I love those. Yeah. So uh, let's take a little bit of a break. This is Big Deacon Radio with our special guest Sarah Sarasvati. In the next segment, we're going to uh, come back to um, entrepreneurship and higher education today. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Do you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of 3Joy Associates help. David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645. Contact him at deg at 3joy.com or browse the 3Joy website, www.3joy.com today. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call 1-866-472-472. 5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show. And welcome back to Big Beacon Radio. I'm Dave Goldberg. And get the coaching and deep faculty development you need to help transform higher education at your institution at 3joy.com. And uh, 3joy has expanded into taking some of this uh, work into the into the workplace, uh, work on the consultant of the future and the workplace of the future. And so um, write to th- um, deg at 3joy.com to find out about some of those services. And Sarah, uh, we're rejoined by Sarah Sarasvati at the University of Virginia, the Darden Business School, author of um, the book Effectuation and many publications on effectual thinking and entrepreneurial thought and action, how it differs from kind of run-of-the-mill um, management and leadership. And, Saris, we had a, one of our uh, uh, listeners, a regular listener, Dan Heck, uh, wrote in with a question for you. He says that Teresa Amabile uh, observed that progress motivates. If that applies to entrepreneurs, what is their sense of progress that is motivating to them? And might that same perspective be demotivating to a non-entrepreneurial mindset? Excellent question. Uh, I love uh, Teresa Mabila's work. Uh, um, and, uh, you know, the progress principle, I think, is pretty much something that will ring true uh, to a lot of entrepreneurs. Um, so uh, it's, it's this, uh, so that people, uh, entrepreneurs will describe it in several different ways, but I suspect that people who have accomplished worthwhile things in any field would probably describe it similarly, right? It's, it's what, you know, you wake up in the morning for, but it's also 
what makes all the difficult stuff around the things you care about easier. Uh, if I remember correctly, I think it was Jerry Seinfeld who said that uh, the, this particular idea, if you have this larger purpose or passion, um, uh, it's not that it tells you what to do or makes success more likely or anything like that. He just said it just allows you to put up with all the crap a lot easier, right? It makes uh, all the difficult things, uh, uh, you know, uh, is, uh, you know, it allows you to face them and maybe ignore them sometimes and uh, get up again and fight again, you know, that kind of thing. Yes. Uh, so I think it is not only for uh, or special to entrepreneurs in that sense of the word. But I think what is special about entrepreneurs is they have a way of taking that, right? Whatever inspires them, whatever drives them, whether you call it passion, whether you call it the progress principle, whether you call it just a joy in being competent at something, right? You can have all kinds of different reasons or something that motivates you because you care for the larger social good or it's a deeply held spiritual value or any of these things, right? Uh, The thing that they're very good at it, they're they're very good at taking that, and uh, packaging it into something that's absolutely doable, not just for them, but for the people around them, right? And so they are able to marry what I call the top line and the bottom line of life together, you know? So they can uh, can take these things and make them into action that will also allow you to live a decent life, right? Whether it's uh, to achieve a profit, uh, on a daily basis, to come up with a revenue model that works, uh, to come up with ways that I actually can meet payrolls. So you don't have to. So when I teach um, students from the arts, sometimes I'll say there is this idea of the starving artist, right? That art is so important that it's okay if the artist starves. Well, entrepreneurs are very good at kind of making making sure that you don't starve. You don't starve, yeah, nice. <laughs> and you still do great art, right? Uh, so I like, uh, that, I like, it's uh, that kind of stuff that I think entrepreneurship has that idea of yep. combining street uh, smarts and the bottom line, if you will, with well, this, the this progress goes, I want to jump in. I, this goes back to what you were saying before. That this is a, and, I, and, and I see this as a leadership coach working or executive coach working with work with deans, work with faculty, work with working engineers, but it doesn't matter. You know, so people oftentimes say, I can't. Mm-hmm. And and so what the progress principle is saying, well, okay, well, what in, it goes to the point that you were speaking of before. Well, what can you do? What do you have? What can you do? Uh, Peter Sims uses the expression little bets. Yeah. And with my coaching clients, I say, well, what little bets? You, you want to go in this direction. What little bet can you place today that you, and you said, you said it, it's absolutely doable. You can go do it. And you yeah. can learn about it. And, and so you don't know exactly where you want to go. Go do this little thing that you think you want to do and, and learn how it feels. Learn whether this is something you want to do. Do the little experiment now with what you yeah. can do. Yeah, because sometimes when we, when we chase these big things that we should yeah. do, right, we, yeah. we feel helpless because it seems so huge. You so know, how, what can I do to tackle that? And yeah. entrepreneurs say there's always something you can do. So it's nice to have that big thing that you wake up in the morning for, but also think about what is it that you can actually do. And then here's the secret, right? The secret, uh, because you need the second secret as well. And the second secret is once you have done the little bit, right, yeah. then you have to push yourself. 
So there is no resting on your laurels. You push yourself for the next one as well. And that's that's what makes big achievement possible, right? You have to start with something that's absolutely doable in a practical sense. You start with that. But then you always, once you get to that, you push yourself to the next level. You push yourself to the next. And that's how very, very, you know, big problems are able to get solved as well. And that's what you need to give to whatever inspires you and, you know, allows you to get up in the morning and function. So that's really the key. So you have to have the little bets, and then I tell this to Pete Sims as well. Like you also need to like get out there and push it after the first couple of little bets, right? Uh, And that combination is very powerful. It moves. It really moves the world. Beautiful answer, and and um, and in the last segment, we had also turned a little bit towards education, and some some of your thinking about education, and um, and one of the things that just and it blows my mind whenever it happens. Your stuff is is so central to you know once you once you hear it, you, it's one of those head slappers. You just go, oh, okay, yes, of course, this is this 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 nails uh, a good part of what's different about entrepreneurial thought and action. So it's always shocking to me when I bump into people who who claim to be teaching entrepreneurship, and I'll say, well, and you know, one an important distinction is between causal and effectual thinking and and um, and they're unaware of it. What your your stuff's been very influential. What's your what's your sense of its penetration of the the mind share of entrepreneurial thinking? <laughs> it's a good. Uh, I don't have a very clear idea of the penetration per se because I don't track it that much. No, I just uh, yeah. the way I think about it is. Okay. Two, I mean, it was a, one of the things that myself and a few of my colleagues who worked with me from day one, uh, Nick Dew and Stuart Reed and Robert Wilband, uh, and then my colleague here, uh, uh, Venkat Venkatraman. I mean, there were a whole bunch of people who have been working with me on yep. developing these ideas. And early on, we decided that. That we want to win the academic uh, um, hearts and minds over first in the sense that we have to collect data, we have to work our way through the academic journals and show that this is really something that's going on because we realize that true impact comes when thousands of educators beginning begin to think about it. And it's not just one more, you know, here are a set of five principles that you follow. It's not a recipe for success. In fact, I have actively resisted uh, people uh, using this as a way to think about, oh, you know, this is a recipe for successful entrepreneurship. Uh, this truly is about lessons learned by doing entrepreneurship for a long time. And then we work very carefully to think about what are the consequences, both for immediate uh, you know, performance implications and long-term implications and implications at the level of the society, as the uh, at the level of the human person, right? So we've been doing, we've been very, very careful. So we did not yeah. rush to publish like a uh, uh, a book for uh, outside uh, academia, for the trade press, things like that. So we took a very deliberative stance that we're going to go through the academic process in terms of research articles. Then we have been working on teaching, and now we are beginning to write a lot more uh, in the uh, because we are pretty confident about the amount of data and the work that has gone into it. And that's perhaps why, because there's so much, there's a lot of good stuff. I, I don't have anything against people uh, who, ca- who come up with an insight that they observe in the practical world and then write a book about it, and the book becomes popular. So 
uh, as a cognitive scientist, I know human beings are induction machines, and we are thirsty and hungry, and we learn from all kinds of things uh, all the time. So I don't have anything against that. It is just that the group of uh, scholars I decided to work with early on, we sure. decided to choose a more deliberative path. But but overall, it's having a lot more effect now. Now there are thousands of educators around the world who are beginning to teach this uh, in all kinds of classrooms, K through 12 universities, uh, in consulting settings, all kinds of places. In fact, uh, on June 6th and 7th, we have the next uh, international effectuation conference inside the Arctic Circle in Norway. <laughs> so, uh, so this has become an academic movement uh, that I'm privileged to be a part of. Uh, and there are more and more um, uh, people like you who have taken the trouble to reach out to us and who has, you know, you have thoughtfully thought this over and you are doing work in the public sphere in an important way and you're taking that in. Pete Sims had done that. Uh, he had looked at effectuation and included that in his little bit, Betts book. Um, the, you know, uh, there have been a whole bunch of, I mean, I do not want to yeah. name any uh, one author, but there, yeah. there, are, there are over a dozen uh, books that I know that have taken these ideas and brought them to the public. So I keep your books actually on my bookshelves. Um, that is Michael Faschingbauer in Austria who developed a program to teach uh, unemployed people uh, that became so successful. He has written his own book called Effectuation. It's not a translation. Uh, it's an, a book in German that he has developed into his own book. And there are, that is a French author. There's a, a Dutch author here. There are people in China doing this. And that's exactly how an academic idea should work. And so I'm very happy to let that happen and take its time. And I think over time, because the fundamental insight that the expert entrepreneurs learn the hard way in the trenches is so powerful that the future can be co-created, that prediction prediction is not our only option in uh, placing a bet based on a prediction is not our only option in the way we deal with the future that is so powerful that i think you know uh, it will last so i am over the years i've gotten more confident about the choices uh, my co-scholars that i made uh, early on uh, but just, i'm very grateful to have opportunities yeah. like this to talk with you where Great. people can ask questions as well well, so we have we have about uh, two minutes left in the show, and I, I guess I'd like to turn to higher education itself. And so, higher education is, uh, in terms of its organization, is highly causal. And and I'm wondering what's the role for effectual thinking and bringing about change in higher ed? Do we? I guess maybe we should start with the larger question of purpose and and is there need for change in higher education? But we've got a couple of minutes left, so we. Maybe it shouldn't tackle what too big a problem. Very here. interesting that higher education is very causal, and what is the role of effectuation? And I, and I have kind of a funny, uh, ironic answer to it. Okay, I think we are living in an increasingly entrepreneurial world, in yep. which uh, which means that education is moving into the entrepreneurial world, right? Which means circumstances are going to force us to think as if think effectually, because we are trying to be causal in an increasingly effectual world. So. Mm -hmm. It's not a question of role of evacuation in education. We have to think about the role of education in a world that is getting increasingly entrepreneurial and effectual. And that's some of the work that I have been doing, where I've been thinking about uh, there is a group of uh, educators in Denmark uh, who got me thinking about this. Seconds. Because they started talking about how do you teach effectually? 
not how do you teach effectuation, but how do you teach effectually? Can you come into a classroom and not have the final deliverable all worked out in detail ahead of time, right? And have the students take ownership of developing the deliverable and yet be able to answer causally to the authorities on, yes, we have actually taught something, you know? (laughs) So there are really interesting issues inside of education uh, that are propelled by the need to, uh, for us to live and thrive inside an effectual uh, world, which is where uh, we I are think we'll have to, and I'm sorry to cut you off. I'm, it, we've just got a little bit of time left, and I want to give you a moment to either give a website or your email address or some way for people to get in touch with you if they want to learn more about your work. Sure. Um, um, the simplest way is uh, www.effectuation. Dot org that is e f e c t like the word effect and u a t i o n uh, you can also just you know google my last name and that'll bring you to my website at the Darden Graduate Business School in University of Virginia and there are lots of links from there as well those will be the simplest and my email address is on there and my phone number and everything more than you ever want to know about me is on there Saris, so uh, that should be the easiest way thanks so much for joining us this was a delight I wish we had more wish we had more time maybe we can get you back on the show and we we can talk. We can start from the educational part. Sounds like we we just started to touch the tip of a very large iceberg for us. Thanks for being on the show. Sure, this is great fun, Dave. I love talking to you. All right, thanks. Okay. Been listening to Big Beacon Radio with our guest Sarah Sarasvati from the Darden Business School at the University of Virginia. I've been listening to Big Beacon Radio, help transform higher education, join the movement to unleash a new generation of innovators by learning more at bigbeacon.org. Join us next week, same time, same channel, as we continue our quest to transform higher education. Thank you for tuning into Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Please join Dave Goldberg soon for another edition. Listen every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. For additional information about our programs or to find out about the next show, please visit bigbeacon.org. We'll talk again very soon.